Discover the tips and strategies that will help you achieve your retirement goals. I'm your host, James Canole, and this is the podcast dedicated to helping you retire well. It all starts right here on Ready for Retirement. Welcome back to another episode of Ready for Retirement. I'm your host, James Canole. And today we're going to be talking about a topic you've no doubt heard. If you've turned on the TV, if you've read your newspaper, read your news article, or if you've been to the grocery store, you've probably seen that inflation is a big concern right now. So today's topic is all about inflation. What to think about it? How do we react to this? What do we do with our financial planning and investing in response to inflation that we've seen already and potential inflation concerns to come? Now, before we do so, wanted to quickly say that on top of this podcast, I'm now doing more YouTube videos. So the YouTube videos is more of a supplement to what we're talking about here. It will sometimes take the topics and condense them or supplement them. So if you want to watch what we're talking about on YouTube before you want to see additional resources, head over to YouTube. You can search for Root Financial Partners, which is the name of my company. So Root Financial Partners is the YouTube page, and there's a bunch of videos. We'll release one a week that supplement everything that we're talking about here on the podcast as well. So just a quick shout out for that. Again, that is at Root Financial Partners. You can find that on YouTube. I will also include the link to that in the show notes from today's episode. So at readyforretirement.co, you can find the show notes for today's episode. I will also include the link to the YouTube channel in the show notes that you should have as you're listening on Spotify or Apple or wherever you're listening to this podcast. All right. So back to today's episode. Inflation is no doubt a concern that you have heard expressed somewhere along the way and maybe even expressed yourself. So as investors, how are we to react to this? And not even just as an investor, but really as someone who is hoping to retire. If you look at just average inflation, say average inflation is 3% per year. If you retire at 60 and have a 30-year retirement, inflation is going to make the cost of everything that you buy go up by about 240%. So if $100,000 per year is what it costs to live year one of retirement, and if you have the same living expenses your final year of retirement, those living expenses would cost almost a quarter million dollars to maintain the same purchasing power that you'd have today with $100,000. Now, if inflation isn't average, if instead inflation is, say, 4% per year, then your living expenses don't increase 240% over that time period. They increase 325% over that time period. So a basket of goods and services that you could buy today with $100,000 per year, it would take $325,000 to maintain that same purchasing power over a 30-year retirement with inflation running at 4%. So you can see how inflation, even at average levels, is concerning. You can see how inflation takes the costs of everything that we have and increases those, and especially in going into retirement. If you're living on more of a fixed income, if you have less margin to just go work more years or earn more money you need to really make sure you have a plan in place to address inflation. So what we're going to do today is we're going to take a look back through history and just get some perspective on where has inflation been before. Believe it or not, this is not the first time the U.S. has encountered inflation concerns. It's happened many times throughout our history and really world history. So let's take a journey through that to see what that's looked like. Let's get some perspective and then let's also see how does that dictate how we should react to inflation when it comes to our financial planning and our investing. So as we get started, 
I want to quickly say, by the way, it's evident already, there has been some inflation. There has been an increase in a lot of prices. So this isn't a if inflation comes or what do we do when it comes. There's the question of is this transitory or not? Is this just the result of some shockwaves to the system? Or is this lasting inflation? You can debate that. What you can't debate is that inflation has already showed up in many ways. If you look at the price of food or gas or used cars or many different things, there is definitely an increase in prices, the greatest that we've seen in a little bit of time. Now, here's the thing. Two years ago, so in 2019, the New York Times reported, and this is a quote right from an article, this quote says, Federal Reserve officials are increasingly worried that inflation is too low and could leave the central bank with less room to maneuver in an economic downturn. End quote. So simply two years ago, we had the opposite concern. And what the concern was, was that inflation was too low. And what did that mean for the central bank's ability to maneuver in an economic downturn? What have we seen since then? Well, we did have a major economic downturn in 2020. And the Federal Reserve showed us they would spare no expense to maneuver through that downturn. So that was that that concern ended up not being realized. Now, number two Inflation being low was a concern then. Now the inflation or now the concern is inflation being too high. So I'm not saying this is or isn't a problem. I just do like to shed light on the perspective that as recently as a couple of years ago, the major concern was is inflation too low? So not saying it's a negative or it's not saying it's not a bad thing. Inflation can be a bad thing, but the media does love to sensationalize things. And whether inflation is too high or too low or just perfect, there's going to be something that's alarmist in the headlines. So that's where I like to start. But now let's talk about inflation itself. Well, inflation, as I mentioned, it may be transitory, meaning maybe this is just the result of some shockwaves as a result of the economy being shut down and supply lines being shut down and logistics just taking a major hit through the course of 2020 and the after effects now. So maybe this is transitory. Maybe it isn't. But concerns about inflations and other market events are always transitory. They're never permanent, but the new thing always seems like it is a new thing that is going to change everything. Right now, it's inflation. Last year, it was COVID and unemployment and elections and general global uncertainty. In 2019, it was trade wars and tariffs and also fears of global economic slowdown. Before that, it was an endless number of things. So while today's episode is focused on inflation, I do want to make sure we're talking about the fact that as soon as inflation concerns go away, whether that's in a couple months or or a few or several years, there will always be something as investors that make it seem like this is a terrible time to invest. History has shown us that's not the case. These concerns are transitory. Sometimes they're legitimate. Sometimes they aren't. But we always find a way through them. So let's talk about what do we do as investors with this information. So we have seen higher prices. If you've tried booking a flight, if you've gone to a restaurant, if you've gone to the grocery store, if you've filled up your tank with gas, you see that things are costing more money today than they did a year ago or even before that. The big concern is are we going to return to time period like the 70s and 80s where inflation was oftentimes in the double digits? And if we do that, what is that going to do to our investments? Well, Here's the thing with not just inflation, but any perspective or any concern about the stock market. It's not enough just to be negative on the outlook for stocks or for bonds or for any type of an investment. Why? Well, because current prices already reflect that there are some concerns in the market. Meaning, when you look at the stock market as a whole, it's not just this nameless thing that goes up and down arbitrarily. The stock market is the world's consensus best guess as to what is the best price or most appropriate or fair or equilibrium price for a given 
asset reflecting both the concerns involved with that stock and the potential upside with that stock. So any concern, unless you're the only person in the world that's concerned about inflation, that concern to some extent is already reflected in the price of whatever stock you're looking to buy or in the stock market as a whole if you're looking to buy the whole thing. So to justify switching in and out of a portfolio, it's not enough to say, I have a concern that inflation is a thing. Your concern has to say, I have a greater concern than the market as a whole. So what you have to do there is you have to understand what level of inflation is already assumed to be the case in the market. So in market prices today, what level of inflation is already baked in to the prices that you're paying today? Then you have to understand or you have to make your best guess as to whether inflation will be higher or lower than that. So that's why it's so difficult. It's easy to say, yes, there's some inflation here. What's much harder is predicting both exactly what inflation will be in the months and years to come, as well as what level of inflation is already embedded in the price of stocks and bonds and other investments today. But let's look at an example. Let's assume you could predict exactly where inflation was going to be. And to illustrate this, let's go back to New Year's Day of 1979. 1979, the U.S. stock market, so the S&P 500, it failed to produce a real return for two years in a row. In 1977, the S&P 500 was down 7.2%. So it was a negative year. Then in 1978, the S&P 500 actually gained 6.6%. But inflation was 7.6%. So when you back out inflation, you had a real return of negative 1%. So imagine you are now sitting there. It's New Year's Day 1979. You had two negative years in a row after accounting for inflation. And you somehow knew exactly what inflation was going to be the next two years. In 1979, inflation was 11.3%. And in 1980, inflation was 13.5%. So you know that you're coming off two negative years in a row and somehow you have the foresight to know that you're going to have two double digit inflation years in a row, which was the first time since World War I that that had happened in the U.S. Well, what do you do? Well, you think back to 1974 when the inflation adjusted return for U.S. stocks was about negative 35 percent, which is a really, really painful year, a down year plus a bad inflation year, a negative real return of 35 percent. So as an investor, if you know that you're about to have two double-digit inflation years in a row, and by the way, you're the only person that knows this, you know with certainty, you're probably going to get out of the stock market, right? Well, if you did, if you're like most people and you would say, okay, I know what's coming, I see the future, I'm going to get out now to protect myself, you missed an incredible two-year run in the stock market even as inflation was hitting double digits each year. The total return of the S&P 500 over the subsequent two years, so for 1979 and 1980, was 56.8%. I mean, even though inflation was really spiking, the return of the S&P 500 was up just under 57%. Now, had you invested in small company stocks, you were up even more than that. You would have been up about 90% over that two-year time period. Even short-term bonds at that point, they paid a total return or generated a total return of 22.8%. Really, it was just long-term government bonds that got hurt so bad during that time period. So even sometimes knowing that inflation is going to be here, not just inflation, but double-digit inflation, would not have done you much good as an investor. If we look at the three worst years of inflation in the 70s and 80s, well, one of them was 1974. Inflation was 11.1%. And the stock market that year was down 26.5%. 
1974 was only the third worst year for inflation during those two decades. The second worst year was 1979, when inflation was 11.3%. That year, the stock market was actually up 18.4%. And the worst year of all was 1980, when inflation was 13.5%, and that year the stock market was actually up 32.4%. So as you are looking at this, it's hard to see how even knowing exactly what inflation would be would help you in any way as an investor. And I think one of the reasons for this is as investors, it is easy to wrongly assume that one single factor, whether it's inflation or unemployment or COVID or trade wars or whatever it is, we assume that one single factor is the only thing that is driving asset prices. We saw this just last year. There was this this cognitive dissonance of stock prices increasing after they really plummeted from mid-February until the end of March, March 23rd, we started seeing the stock market running and it had its best 50-day run ever. And in the midst of this, unemployment is still rising. Shutdowns are still going into effect. COVID cases are still rising. And there's this sense on how on earth is the stock market doing this. It's because we wrongly assume that we see one factor that's really, really bad and disregard the thousands of other factors that drive asset prices. So could inflation potentially get really out of hand over the next few years? It could. But what if inflation rises, but company earnings rise faster? Or what if inflation rises, but pent-up consumer demand increases at an even faster clip than is anticipated, and people spend more than is anticipated? What if inflation rises, but all this cash that corporations have on their balance sheet is invested into things that keep driving their profits and their productivity and their earnings higher and higher and higher? How do all these variables combine and what direction is that ultimately going to take the stock market? That is the hardest piece to actually understand. It's not enough to know if inflation is going to be high or low or right where you want it to be. But even if you could know that, it's still not quite enough. Now, one thing I do know for certain is that you should absolutely stay away from headlines in terms of trying to drive your investment decisions. Let's take a look at this. So in 1970, there was already concerns about inflation. And in the New York Times, Thomas Mullaney wrote an article called Inflation Spurs Growing Gloom in the Markets. He said, quote, behind the pervasive bearishness was the same litany of problems as depressed the market for almost a year and a half. Concern over inflation, tight money, the uncertain economic picture, social unrest, wariness over war in Indochina and other international tensions. Now, take out or replace some of those words, and that could very much describe some of the concerns we have today. But one year after this article was written, the market was up over 32%. Three years after this was published, the market was up an average of over 13% per year for three years in a row. In the mid-1970s, the market did drop quite a bit, but even after 10 years, factoring in that major downturn in 1974, the stock market was still up over 7% per year in the midst of growing inflation and in the midst of these headlines. Fast forward to 1973. This is from Time Magazine in an article called Nixon's Other Crisis, The Shrinking Dollar, in which Time Magazine said, quote, the economy's inflationary temperature has climbed to its highest point in two decades. The situation has helped create near chaos in stock and dollar exchange markets, end quote. Now, a year later, the stock market was down, but had you stuck with it, 10 years later, the stock market was up about 9.6% on an annualized basis. So right about where it stood over its long-term average. In 1983, still in periods of high inflation concerns, Milton Friedman 
quoted in a New York Times article, says interest rates will rise as an inevitable consequence of the monetary explosion we've experienced over the past year. Now, they did rise. Interest rates were rising. There was inflation. But over the next 10 years, the stock market averaged 14.73% on an annualized basis over the following 10 years. In 1992, and this, this is one of my favorite ones, in a piece titled Bankruptcy, Harold Figge Jr. and Gerald Swanson, PhD, wrote, quote, in 1995, so three years from the time this was, piece was published, in 1995, the USA as we know it today will cease to exist. We'll get a taste of both hyperinflation and panic, end quote. Now, obviously, we know the USA still exists, and inflation didn't turn out to be the same concern that they had at that point. And over the following 10 years after that article, the S&P continued to compound about 10.4% per year. In 2003, and this is one of my favorites, we have an article from Barron's. Jonathan Lang, in an article titled The Debt Bomb, says, Curiously, however, one reads almost nothing about what may be the biggest bubble of them all the huge ballooning of the total debt in the U.S., end quote. Now, total U.S. debt at that point was about $6.7 trillion. Today, it is much higher. It's just under $29 trillion as of this recording. Not saying that's a good thing, but when you try to make investment policy based upon these concerns, you see that this concern is nothing new. You can go back over 18 years ago, and people had the same concerns at that time. And by the way, over the next 10 years, the stock market continued its forward advance like it always has. So as we're talking about things like inflation, as we're talking about things like government debt, as we're talking about these things, absolutely, they can be major issues that need to be reckoned with. The hardest part, and what I would advise people against, is trying to make their investment policy based upon those things. It's not enough to know that these things are problems. Everyone knows the government debt is a problem. Everyone knows that inflation can be a problem. Everyone knows that many of these things are problems. But when you try to make predictions, what you are doing, whether you want to or not, is you are trying to time the market. You are saying that you know something the market does not and that you can make an investment decision that both allows you to get in and then back out at the right time. So what should we do? Do we just throw our hands up and say, okay, everything is useless, there's nothing we can do? Well, of course not. But good, effective investing really comes down to understanding what are the things that you can control that you should devote time, energy, and effort to, and what are the things that you can't control? So we, instead of devoting time and energy to them, we need to set expectations around them. Here's what you can do as an investor. Number one, it's very basic. Have a written financial plan that details how much money you will need and when. As you are approaching retirement, the biggest factor that you need to know is understanding how much income will you need each year. So before trying to time the market, before trying to dictate what your investment strategy should be, understand what you need from your portfolio is step number one. Do you need funds from your portfolio in the next five years or so? Or is your portfolio going to continue growing for the next five, 10 plus years as income is coming in from other sources? This is important because this will allow you to see very clearly how much of your retirement is going to have to come from your portfolio, where things like inflation can impact the size of your portfolio or the ups and downs of your portfolio, versus how much is coming from things like social security that you're going to get things like inflation adjustments on, versus how much is coming from things like pension, where it's a fixed amount each year, but unless it's a government pension, it's probably not actually increasing. So the purchasing power actually diminishes a little bit year over year. 
having this clear sense of what your cash flow is going to look like and your income needs is going to look like is really the first step because then step two, that's where you come in and say, okay, how does my portfolio fit into this? How much of my portfolio do I need to live on in the first few years of retirement? I should probably put those investments in something that's not subject to the ups and downs of the stock market. So I don't need to be concerned about what's inflation going to do to stock prices or what's global trade wars going to do to stock prices or what's global uncertainty going to do to stock prices. I have enough money in conservative investments to generate the cash and income I need to support me for the first few years of retirement. But with anything else, the biggest risk to your expenses in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years and more down the road is inflation. And the fact that one, something that costs a dollar today is going to cost a whole lot more than a dollar in the future. So to put too much of your investments in conservative funds or conservative things is to almost guarantee a loss of purchasing power over time, or at least not an increase in purchasing power over time. So because of step one in understanding how much income you need from your portfolio year in and year out, you can really be intentional about how much you're putting into conservative things that aren't going to be subject to the ups and downs of the market, but are also not going to grow a whole lot over time versus how much you're going to put into things that are going to grow a lot more over time, aka stocks, aka equity in real companies around the world. And even though there's some ups and downs in the short term, you don't need to worry about that quite as much because you already have those conservative investments to cover you, but you do need your stocks to keep growing for you and compounding over time. So that's step two. And then really step three, what can you do? You can listen to Charlie Munger, the famous partner of Warren Buffett. And Charlie Munger says, the first rule of compounding is to never interrupt it unnecessarily. The first rule of compounding is to never interrupt it unnecessarily. What does that mean? Well, let's take a look. This is a source from Dimensional Funds, and I'm just accessing their resource right here. And what it shows is it shows the growth of $1,000 invested in U.S. stocks, so the S&P 500, from January 1st of 1990 until the end of December 2020. So $1,000 invested in U.S. stocks in 1990 over the next 20 years would have grown to $20,451. Make those number bigger, what that means is $100,000 invested in the U.S. stock market in 1990 would have grown to over $2 million. So that's what compounding can do. Compounding can take your money and without any effort on your part, turn it into a lot more money. But here's what happens if you miss some of the S&P 500's best performing days. If you were invested in the S&P 500 from 1990 all the way until the end of 2020, but you missed just one day, and that day happened to be the S&P 500's best performing day, but you, your 1,000 would not have turned to 20,451. It would have only turned into $18,329, meaning you lost more than 10% of your ending value for missing one day in the market over a period of 20 years. Had you missed the five best days, so you're invested for 20 years straight, but you happen to miss the five best days, Well, instead of having $20,451 at the end of it, you had $12,917. That's about two-thirds of what you otherwise would have had had you simply stayed invested. And finally, if you had been the unluckiest investor and missed the 25 best days, instead of growing to $20,451, your $1,000 would have grown to $4,376, about 20% of what you otherwise would have had had you simply stayed invested. So why do I bring this up? Well, oftentimes, 
people aren't jumping in and out of the market when times are good. People start getting out of the market when times are really bad and times are really scary, a la 2008 or like 2020 when COVID was sending the market down double digits on many days. That's when people get spooked and that's when people want to protect what they have. Now, the problem with that is that, yes, that's when the worst days in the market happened, but it's also when some of the absolute best days in the market happen. So if you're trying to get in and out of the market when times are really bad and scary, you are probably more likely to miss the best days then than you are when things are good. So when you look at the cost of missing the best days, that is far more risky to you than simply staying invested, having a good, solid investment strategy, but not letting anything get in the way of compounding. So often when inflation concerns happen, people wrongly want to say, okay, instead of being in stocks, I want to go to cash. Well, if inflation concerns are legitimate, it's usually not because you're scared about where prices are going to go this year or even next year. Really, the big fear is, am I going to afford things or be able to afford things in 5, 10, 15 plus years down the road? Well, if that is really the concern, then going to cash is maybe the least sensible thing you could possibly do. Unless you're saying, yes, I'm going to cash because I want to protect against some volatility in the market and I know for certain I can get out now and get back in when the stock market's lower. If you can do that, great. And that makes sense. The problem is I have yet to see anyone, Warren Buffett included, who can consistently do that. So instead, if inflation is a concern, how can we ensure that we have just enough cash to prepare for emergencies, to generate income if needed? But then on top of that, make sure that every other asset we have is positioned for long-term growth with the goal of exceeding the rate of inflation with the growth in our assets. So that is it for today's episode. I hope that was helpful. Again, this is a talk about inflation, but you could switch out inflation for election concerns. You could switch it out for unemployment concerns. You could switch it out for global slowdowns, for wars, for whatever it might be. None of these are good things in and of themselves. But trying to make investment policy based upon those things is really difficult to do, if not impossible. So instead, have a plan, understand how your portfolio fits within that plan, and then do not let yourself do anything that could possibly get in the way of your portfolio's ability to compound. So that is all I have for today. I hope that is helpful. Once again, check us out on YouTube. Root Financial Partners is the YouTube channel. You'll see videos that are similar to what we're talking about on here, plus some other videos to just make sure we're offering as much education and as much guidance as possible around all things retirement planning. And if you're liking this show and you've not already done so, please make sure that you subscribe and please make sure you leave a review if you're liking this. The first thing people check when looking at different podcasts is people's reviews. So the more reviews there are, the more people can find this show, the more people can get the guidance that I hope to be able to provide through this podcast. Thank you for listening and I'll see you next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Ready for Retirement podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and let me know by leaving a five-star review. And as always, for a list of the notes and the resources mentioned in today's episode, you can find those at the Ready for Retirement website, which is readyforretirement.co. That's readyforretirement.co. And if you have a question that you would like for me to answer in a future episode, then you can also go to the Ready for Retirement website, readyforretirement.co. There's a page called Submit Your Question where you can submit a question for me to answer in a future episode. Thanks as always for listening, and I'll see you next time. Hey everyone, it's me again for the disclaimer. Please be smart about this. Before doing anything, please be sure to consult with your tax planner or financial planner. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as investment, tax, legal, or other financial advice. It is for informational purposes only.